0: Disclaimer. This is a true crime case which includes storytelling about murder, children being murdered, necrophilia, and animal abuse. It may not be suitable for all audiences. Hey you guys, welcome to the Cyanide Podcast. I am your host Cyan Martin. And for our very first episode, I wanted to do something that was, of course, in the spirit of Halloween. And when you guys think of Halloween, what do you think about If you said vampires, then you are very correct. So today, we're going to be talking about a man named Richard Chase, aka the Vampire of Sacramento. Richard Trenton Chase was born on a May 23rd, 1950, which is the day before my birthday. Of course, different years. So this makes him a little Gemini as well. And he was born in Sacramento, California. And now, when it comes to his childhood and his parents, there's very little information about this out there. But what we do know is that his parents had a very strict household and his father was very abusive towards him. And by the age of just 10 years old, Richard had exhibited characteristics that are a part of the McDonald triad. Which, if you don't know what that is, it is a very widely accepted and taught theory that links cruelty to animals, obsession with fire setting, and persistent bedwetting to serial offenders. This theory hypothesizes that anyone who experiences any two of the three factors in their childhood are more likely to grow up with violent tendencies leading to serial offenses. And Richard displayed all three of these traits, like I said, by the age of just 10, which is crazy. And when Richard moved into his teenage years, he did begin to experiment with drugs and alcohol. He would take speed. LSD and smoke marijuana, and he did become addicted to both drugs and alcohol. Despite all of this, though, Richard was able to maintain a pretty good social life in high school and he even had a few relationships throughout the years, but he actually found it very difficult to maintain these relationships because Richard was actually completely impotent. Which, if you don't know what that means, it's basically to where um, he couldn't get it up. So, Richard, he does decide to go see a psychiatrist for his impotence. And his psychiatrist just said that it was most likely caused by suppressed rage. Like, okay, but how does that help him? But Richard did not like this answer at all, so he began to drown himself in medical books. He felt like if he could get better answers from these books, he could end up curing himself. And somehow, this man came to the conclusion That he could not get an erection because he didn't have enough blood in his body. Which, I guess, it doesn't seem that outlandish because, like, an erection does begin when blood flows to the- well, you know what I mean. Anyways, this is when Richard becomes completely obsessed with blood. So, shortly after Richard graduates high school, he moves into an apartment with some of his friends. Yeah, I know. Somehow he has friends. While living with them, his addiction to drugs and alcohol only got worse. Over time, Richard's relationships with his roommates also became very strained, and this is because he liked to walk around naked. And, understandably, his roommates did not like this, but Richard just refused to stop doing it. So, his roommates tried to actually kick him out, but he refuses to leave. So, instead, all of his roommates end up moving out of the apartment themselves. But now that Richard didn't have any roommates to split the rent with, he could no longer afford this apartment. So, he does end up moving back in with his parents when he was 21 years old. And after this, y'all, Richard became very paranoid. He not only thought that he didn't have enough blood in his body, but he also thought that his heart would often just stop beating. He thought this was because someone had stolen his pulmonary artery. I don't know how they could do that without you dying, or, I mean, at least without you knowing that they did it, but to each their own. Additionally, Richard thought that he was lacking in vitamin C, which, I mean, most of us are, but in order to fix this, he would just take an orange and hold it to his head. In order to absorb vitamin C from it. Literally just hold the orange there. I can't make this stuff up. And that's not all, you guys. Nope. Richard also thought that the bones in his head were moving around and that he was actually growing bones out of the back of his head. So, he decides to shave his head so that he could keep an eye on these supposed bones that were protruding from his head. And Richard did actually seek help from multiple medical professionals, but they would just diagnose him with hypochondria, which it's obvious that he does have hypochondria, but they did nothing to help him and would just send him away. Now, like I had mentioned previously, Richard was not only a hypochondriac, but he was also paranoid. And now that he had moved back in with his parents, he began to become paranoid of them and the other people around him. He actually believed that his own mother was poisoning him, so he stopped eating any of the food that his mom would make for him. Eventually, his father gets so tired of this that he buys an apartment for Richard and forces him to move out on his own. And of course, this didn't solve anything. But now that Richard was on his own and didn't have anyone there to control his actions, he actually began to believe that not only did he not have enough blood in his body, but that the blood he did have was turning into powder. So, in order to fix this, he would capture rabbits, kill them, drink their blood, and then eat their raw meat. He would also take the organs from the rabbits, and blend them along with Coke to make a smoothie that he would drink. Sounds delicious, am I right? Keep in mind that even though this is truly disturbing to all of us, Richard did this because he truly believed it would help him to get more blood into his body and that it would stop his heart from shrinking. Yes, he also thought that his heart would shrink if he didn't do this. And Richard continued this behavior for two years. But then, Richard got sick from doing this, of course, so his father took him to the hospital and they discovered that he had blood poisoning. How did he have blood poisoning? Well, this is actually because Richard had injected Rabbit's blood into his veins. So, of course, when the medical staff hears this, they decide that he needs to get some help Right away, and Richard is involuntarily sent to a psychiatric hospital in 1975 when he is only 25 years old. While at this psychiatric hospital, the staff of the hospital actually give him the nickname Dracula due to his obsession with blood. And somehow, while he was in care, Richard ends up capturing two birds from his window, he snaps their necks, and he drinks their blood. He was then found with their blood smeared all over his face. And also, somehow, on multiple occasions, Richard was able to get his hands on syringes from the hospital and he would extract blood from the therapy dogs that they would bring in for visits with the patients and he would drink it. Which, at least he didn't kill any of the dogs, but it's still pretty messed up. Also, during this time, Richard was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia and would undergo various medications and treatments for his condition. But somehow, only a year later, he was deemed no longer a threat to the public and was released. And I honestly can't understand why he was determined to not be a threat because of all the blood and the animals. Like, what? And once again, after he was discharged, Richard's parents just sent him back to his apartment to live alone. Additionally, for some reason, Richard's mom decided that he didn't need to be on his medication anymore, so he stopped taking his medicine. At this point, he also stops taking care of himself completely. He wouldn't shower, brush his teeth, shave, and he also stopped eating besides, you know, from the rabbits, so he ended up losing a lot of weight. And not only did his habit of killing rabbits continue, but it even escalated to him killing cats and dogs. He would steal pets from his neighbors and do to them like he had done with the rabbits. In one instance, he even called his neighbor to tell him that he had stolen his dog and all of the gruesome things that he had done to their dog as well. And get this, one time he even showed up to his mom doorstep with a dead cat. He just threw the cat on the ground, ripped the cat open with his bare hands, smeared the cat's blood all over his face, and was just screaming during the whole thing. And his mom? She just stood there, watched the whole thing, and then when he was done, she just closed the door on him. <laughs> yeah, I know. Mother of the year. So, in addition to Richard's weird obsessions, he also began to become obsessed with guns. He would buy a lot of guns and practice with them often. I don't even want to imagine what he used as targets. And now, Richard, he was never really on the police's radar because everything he's done is just with animals and has been related to mental health issues. But, in August of 1977, the police were on patrol in the Nevada, desert near the Pyramid Lake when they came across an abandoned car. They go check out the car and the inside was completely covered in blood. There were also men's clothing and two rifles in the car. And then there was a bucket. This bucket was full of blood and what police believe looked like a liver. So, of course, the police were like, what the fuck? So, they take a look around the surrounding area and they see a figure moving near the lake. And this was none other than Richard Chase. Richard was naked, covered in blood, and just running around. The police go after him, but he tries to run away. Of course, they catch up to him, pin him down, and arrest him. They also take him into questioning, and it is found that this blood and the liver was actually from a cow that Richard had shot with his rifle, and because of this, Richard was just released. And after his release, Richard becomes obsessed with the hillside stranglers. At this time, they are really big in the news and they actually didn't even know that there was two of them. They just thought that it was one. And another serial killer, Rodney Alcala, also known as the dating game killer, were really big at this time. So California, they were going through it in the 70s, you know? They just had a lot of crazy murderers running around. But Richard was particularly interested in the Hillside Strangler, so who knows? Maybe this gave him a little bit of inspiration. So Richard's first attempted murder took place on December 27th of 1921. 77. He was driving around Sacramento just looking into people's homes. This is when he came across Dorothy Polensky in her kitchen. He actually stayed in his car for this and just fired his gun at her from inside his vehicle. The bullet went into the kitchen window and barely missed Dorothy's head landing in one of her kitchen cabinets. And Richard literally just drove off after this knowing that he hadn't actually killed Dorothy. Even though Richard's first attempt at murder failed, unfortunately, his second attempt does not. So, just two days after his first attempt, on December 29th, Richard came across Ambrose Griffin, who was a 51-year-old engineer with two children. He was actually just helping his wife unload their groceries from the car when Richard drove past and fired two shots at Ambrose. The first shot had missed him, but the second one hit him directly in the chest, killing him. And once again, Richard just drove off. When police are trying to investigate this case, it's really difficult because, number one, Richard was killing complete strangers. And, number two, He had no cooling off period, so they had to work really fast. Most people take, you know, weeks to kill again, sometimes even months. But Richard literally only waited two days. And all that they really knew was that the bullets found were the same from the gunshot that was fired at Dorothy. And it is actually believed that these two instances were just Richard's practice rounds. He just wanted to see if he could actually kill someone. And that's why it was so fast and random. And surprisingly enough, after this, Richard checks himself into an institution for a few days and then he just leaves. And after that, he continues his weird habits. So, he's capturing rabbits, stealing cats and dogs, making his little smoothies, and whatnot. But he's also going to pet stores and buying pets so that he can do the same things to them. Additionally, he would break into a lot of people's homes for no reason. He wouldn't steal anything. He just did it to do He would also like to peek into people's windows and to go to homes and see if their doors were unlocked. He would just walk up to a home, jiggle the door handle, and if they were unlocked, he took this as a sign that he was welcome to just let himself in. And if they were locked, he would just simply walk away. And one woman was actually home and she saw Richard do this. Fortunately for her, though, her door was locked and Richard just walked away. Another couple had actually come home from shopping one day, and when they walked into their home, they see Richard just standing there. Thankfully, though, he just ends up running off, but he had actually completely trashed the house, and the couple also had an infant, so Richard urinated in one of the infant's drawers that had clothes in it, and he even pooped in the infant's bed. Like, what the fuck? So, this crazy behavior of Richard's went on for a couple of weeks. Then, on January 23rd, 1978, Richard came into the home of Teresa Wallen. She was actually in the middle of taking out her trash and so she had left the door behind her unlocked. So, Richard just comes on in and he actually ends up shooting Teresa three times killing her. He then used a knife to cut her open, removed some of her organs, sliced off one of her nipples, and then picked up an empty yogurt container and filled it up with her blood to drink it. He then got a bucket and filled it up with the blood, poured her blood into the bath, and bathed in it. Afterwards, he went outside, found dog poop, and put it in Teresa's mouth. Following this, he, of course, fled the scene. Teresa's husband is actually the one who had found her like that. And to make things even worse, Teresa was also three months pregnant. And later autopsies would find that during all of this, Richard had also had sex with her dead body. Ugh. It is just so heartbreaking and unfortunately, it doesn't end There. So, on the twenty seventh of January, only four days after the murder of Teresa, Richard enters the home of Evelyn Maroth. Evelyn was at home with her six year old son Jason and her twenty two month old nephew David. A neighbor of hers named Dan Meredith was also at the home during the time. So, when Richard came into the house, Evelyn was upstairs taking a bath. So, Richard first comes across the neighbor Dan and just shoots him point blank, killing him instantly. He then turned over his body and took his wallet and his keys out of his back pocket. And, of course, Evelyn's 6-year-old son heard the shot and was terrified, so he tried to run upstairs to his mom. But, unfortunately, Richard caught up with him first and shot him twice killing him. It is also said that Richard just shot 22-month-old David in the head and then continued his way up the stairs to Evelyn. He shot Evelyn in the head while she was in the bathtub, killing her instantly. He then dragged her body into the bedroom where he sodomized her, drank blood from incisions he had made on the back of her neck. He also stabbed her law and her vital organs, causing them to bleed extremely. And he sliced open her stomach, drained all of her blood into a bucket and stayed long enough to drink all of her blood. It had also been found that he stabbed her at least half a dozen times in the anus. And after doing all of this, Richard actually goes downstairs, retrieves David's corpse. He then takes it into the bathroom, splits his skull open in the bathtub, and consumed some of the brain matter. It is about this time that a six-year-old girl who was supposed to have a playdate with Jason actually knocked on the front door of the home. This startled Richard and he actually fled the scene stealing Dan Meredith's car. The girl then alerted a neighbor and the neighbor broke into the home where he discovered the bodies and contacted the authorities right away. Upon entering the home, the police actually find that 22-month-old David is nowhere to be seen. And at this point, they don't even know if he's alive, obviously we do, but they do not. Once they also realize that Dan's vehicle is missing, they of course put an APB out and they do find it, but I couldn't find any information exactly on where his vehicle was dumped. And upon further investigation of the home, the police are able to get perfect handprints and perfect imprints of the soles of the shoes in Evelyn's blood. An autopsy done on Evelyn's body would also find that she had an unusual amount of semen all over her. Now, this suggests that Richard did ejaculate on her body and, even though everything about this case is just truly disturbing and disgusting. It's just kind of worse to know that, like we talked about in the beginning, Richard was completely impotent. And it's just really freaking disgusting to learn that this is one of the only things out of everything in the world that was able to get him off. Continuing on with the case, like we had said, David was actually missing from the home. And this is because Richard took David's corpse home with him. I'm assuming because he was the youngest and smallest, it was just the easiest to take. And once he was home with David, he actually chopped off his penis and used it as a straw in order to suck the blood out of David's body. He then sliced the corpse open and consumed several internal organs and made smoothies out of others. He then disposed of the corpse at a nearby church in, like, a cardboard box. So, of course, this is a really huge case and the police can't work on it alone. So, they do bring in the FBI for help and they actually come out with a profile of their suspect. And I just wanted to read this profile for you guys. It says, quote, white male aged 25 to 27, thin. Undernourished appearance, single, living alone in a location within one mile of abandoned station wagon owned by one of the victims. Residents will be extremely unkempt, and evidence of the crimes will be found at the residence. Suspect will have a history of mental illness and use of drugs. Suspect will be an unemployed loner who does not associate with other males or females and will probably spend a great deal of time in his own residence. If he resides with anyone, it will be with his parents. However, this is unlikely. Suspect will have no prior military history, will be a high school or college dropout, probably suffers from one or more forms of paranoid psychosis. And if you're a huge true crime fan and you listen to these often, this is probably no surprise to you that somehow the FBI is able to create profiles that are pretty much spot on. So, the police and the FBI do release this profile to the public, as well as a sketch that they actually made based off of their profile as well. And just five days after the mass murder and after hearing the FBI profile, Nancy Holden contacted the police saying that she actually went to school with a man who she believed fit this profile perfectly. And that man was Richard Chase. So, the police ran a background check on Chase and they came across the fact that he had a 22 caliber semi-automatic pistol registered in his name. This is the same type of gun that was used at the crime scene. So, detectives and a team of police went to Chase's apartment where they asked to speak with him. Richard Chase actually refused. And at this point, you've got to understand that This is all just circumstantial evidence. They don't actually know if Richard has done this, so they can't force him to speak to them and they also have not obtained a warrant to search his home. But the police actually end up hiding down the hallway of the apartment building and waiting for Richard to leave. When they see him leave his apartment, he's actually carrying a bloodstained box and his shoes and shirt were also bloodstained. Inside of the box was a 22 caliber gun with which he had committed the murders. Now, this is the probable cause that the police needed in order to arrest him and get a search warrant. And that's what they do. When they arrest him, Richard actually says that he just used the gun to kill several dogs. And the police also found one of the victim's wallets, that was Dan Meredith's wallet, on Richard at the time of his arrest. When a search is done of Richard's apartment, everything was covered in blood. I mean, the walls, the floors, his eating utensils, like everything in the kitchen was just completely covered in blood. They found multiple blenders in which he had never cleaned during this whole time, so there was like rotten animal parts in the bottom. They also found pet collars all over the place and several animal parts wrapped in tin foil Inside of the fridge, they also found several of Teresa and Evelyn's organs. And on his kitchen table, he had spread out numerous diagrams depicting various aspects of human biology. Additionally, once the handprints that were found in Evelyn's home came back, the DNA did match up to that of Richard's. And in 1979, Richard Chase stood trial on six counts of murder. The prosecution was reaching for the death penalty and his defense tried to have him found guilty of second-degree murder in order to avoid the death penalty and get a life sentence instead. And they built their case solely on the fact that Richard had a history of mental illness. They also argued that he didn't really plan his crimes and that this means they weren't premeditated. However, they determined that Richard was sane and he was fit to stand trial, and on May 8, 1979, the jury found Richard Chase guilty of six counts of first-degree murder, and he was sentenced to death by gas chamber. While serving his time, he was also granted multiple interviews with an FBI agent named Robert Ressler, during which he spoke of his fears of Nazis and UFOs, claiming that, although he had killed, it was not his fault. He says that he had been forced to kill in order to keep himself alive and that anyone would have done it if they were in his shoes he also asked wrestler to give him access to a radar gun so that he could apprehend the nazi ufos so that they could stand trial for the murders in addition to this he handed wrestler a large amount of macaroni and cheese which he had been hoarding in his pants pockets believing that prison officials were in ties with the nazis and attempting to kill him also while he was in prison all of the inmates were absolutely terrified of him I mean they had heard of how gruesome his crimes were and were completely aware of what he was capable of and I mean this was even gang members and terrible people who were scared of him and they wanted him to die but all of the inmates were actually too scared to kill him themselves so instead they just tormented him and told him that he should kill himself and on December 26th of 1980 just the day after Christmas a guard was doing cell checks when he found Richard Chase lying awkwardly on his bed, not breathing. An autopsy determined that Chase committed suicide by an overdose of prison doctor-prescribed antidepressants that he had been saving up for the last few weeks. And that is it for the case of Richard Trenton Chase aka the Vampire of Sacramento. Thank you guys so much for listening and coming along with me on this new podcasting journey. I hope that you do like the podcast and don't forget to subscribe so that you guys know when we upload, which will be every single Thursday at 1pm Eastern Standard Time. I know today it is Sunday, but hey, It's Halloween. I wanted to post my first episode, but from now on, it will be every single Thursday, so stick around for more cases. And if you're actually listening to this on Halloween, I hope that you guys have a great Halloween. If you're listening to it after, I hope that you had a great Halloween, if you even celebrate Halloween. And finally, that is all from me, you guys. Please, please stay smart and stay safe, my friends. Bye!